Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. All right. Well, this morning we are starting a brand new series and it's called Community. Three things to get to be in community. And um, I don't know if you, you saw on our Facebook, but I put up a, a video, I think last week, and it was a TED Talk where this researcher was talking about how one of the greatest ways that you can predict whether a person will live long uh, or not is um, not whether they watch Star Trek, uh, but is whether they... Can everyone do that? Are there people here that can't? Awesome. Some people are surprising themselves. <gasps> but, uh, but is whether you have social connections, whether you have a, a close group of people that you can call friends, you can call family that are there for you. And the rise of depression and anxiety is not, um, is not a surprise because community is something that is disintegrating in our Western culture. No longer do we have massive front yards, we have massive backyards. We, we don't have patios. No, we have patios. What do you call it? Verandas? Verandas. We don't have verandas, we have patios. We, we keep our lives to ourselves. We are very selective about who we bring in, and to some extent, that is necessary. Uh, but what I'm saying is that we are not as friendly. We're not as inviting. We're not as open to community. And there are three things over this month that we want to unpack with you because you need to get these things in order to understand community, in order to be a part of community. And today, the thing that I'm going to share with you uh, I, I did a research and it blew me away um, because what I'm going to share with you today is going to help you live longer and better physically. Yeah. It is also going to help you decrease anxiety and depression in your life. It's also going to increase your capacity. And beyond that, you guys are not excited about this at all. And you're like... No, I want to see what you say first. If I cheer too early, then it's like, oh, I'm going to be so disappointed. But it also, research is showing that this thing, if you get this, it is going to increase the health of your family, of your community, and of your nation. Oh my gosh, it's massive. Do you want to know what it is? It's forgiveness. See? That's why I needed to do that, because I knew that, oh, forgiveness. Like, none of us think that forgiveness is a bad thing. Anyone think that forgiveness is lame? Anyone think that you can do without forgiveness? No, we all know that we can do forgiveness. But forgiveness has become so cliched, such a word that we throw around, that sometimes it's just like, yeah, whatevs. But do you know it has the potential to do all of those things? And I'm not just talking from a biblical perspective. I, I, I studied uh, psychology back in the day. I love psychology, and I love that psychology often picks up stuff, uh, truths about how we operate as human beings that is actually found in the Word of God. And so let me read to you a couple of academics what they said about forgiveness. First one is that studies of finding connections between forgiveness and physical, mental, and spiritual health and evidence that it plays a key role in the health of families, communities, and nations. In particular, I was thinking about this whole nations uh, thing, and I realized that there are some nations that are at war today, that are constantly fighting today, 
because there's unforgiveness in the past. You can think about the Jewish people and all the Arabs. You can think about uh, um, Singapore and Malaysia. You can think about all of these nations that, maybe not at war, Singapore and Malaysia are not at war, but you can sense that there's this animosity, that there's a little, that something happened in its past that continues on, that creates a divide between nations. And if we learn how to practice forgiveness, it has the potential to change all of that. Another researcher states, research has shown that forgiveness is linked to mental health outcomes such as reduced anxiety, depression, and major psychiatric disorders, as well as fewer physical health symptoms and lower mortality rates. This is cold, hard research. This is not some person going like, I think you need this. This is people, they've taken people, they've done weird experiments on them, and <laughs> no, not really, but they've observed them over life, and they've discovered that forgiveness is so powerful. I'm wondering whether the rise of anxiety and depression can be linked to a rise in unforgiveness. I'm wondering whether the anxiety and stress that we experience in today's culture has some roots in unforgiveness. There was one particular research that I really like, and I, uh, um, when I was reading through this in 2016, a, a researcher and his team, they conducted research to find a relationship between, let me read this, uh, between stress and psychological well-being as well as forgiveness. To no one's surprise, they found that when a person accumulates a high level of stress in their lives, it leads to bad mental health outcomes later on in their life. So right now, if you're not dealing with your stress, if you're not dealing with your anxiety, it is going to lead you to a place where you are going to be severely impacted for the rest of your life. But then one thing that they found that completely took them by surprise was that when you factor in, that in a similar person, they still accumulate a high level of stress over their lifetime. So it's a similar kind of stress levels that they are facing. The thing that stops them from having those bad mental health outcomes is actually whether they learn how to forgive or not. When a person learns how to forgive and forgive often and forgive well, even though they go through a high level of stress through their lives, they are still not having the same kind of mental health outcomes that a person that doesn't know how to forgive carries through in their lives. Unforgiveness has a way of sapping your capacity. Unforgiveness has a way of taking up room in your life so that you are unable to process your everyday we are going through a generation where stress is on the rise. It will continue to rise. We've got more technology. We've got things that speed up our lives. It used to be that if you want to go to Albany, you have to take five days to, to walk your little donkey all the way. I don't know how long it would have taken. If anyone has ridden a donkey down, please let me know how long. I'm guessing it's five days. It could be 10. It could be a week. Now we take half a day and we are somewhere else and we're conducting uh, 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 conference calls across the ocean, uh, across time zones. We are working too late. You know, when I was in the army, one of the things that I realized is that when you don't have electricity and the sun goes down, you go to sleep. You don't stay up binge watching Netflix. Well, in the jungle, you're kind of like watching ants crawling across the ground. And, and after five minutes, you're like, I'm done. And so when I was doing exercise in the jungle by 
7 o'clock I was sleeping. And I was waking up like maybe 4 or 5 a.m. the next day, ready to go. But now we stay up till 1 a.m., 2 a.m., doing stuff, and waking up tired, facing stress, and then going on. And we need to create room in our lives to be able to deal with those situations. And one thing that seems to be, uh, one thing that we can do is to learn how to forgive. And this really goes in line with what the Bible teaches us. In fact, Jesus, when he talks about forgiveness, it sounds a little bit harsh. Let me just read to you in Matthew chapter 6. Basically, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And it's called the Lord's Prayer. And if you can remember it, say it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and... Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then Jesus goes on to say, for if, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I grew up in a traditional environment and traditional church. And I remember that this verse was a big stick that was used to beat us up with. You don't want to forgive, you're going to hell. You want to go to hell? Forgive. I forgive you. Anyone done that before? Anyone have that kind of lifestyle? And I was pretending to be a kid then in case you didn't realize. But I'm wondering whether we still have that kind of mentality when it comes to forgiveness. Oh, I don't want to get on God's bad side, so I guess I'll forgive. But I don't think that is what Jesus was talking about. I think our unforgiveness doesn't so much cause God to go, oh, well then, I'm not going to forgive you. But I think it's more that we stop ourselves from accepting God's forgiveness over our lives because we don't understand what forgiveness is. We don't understand what forgiveness does, and we actually are closing ourselves off from receiving God's grace upon our lives. God's forgiveness over our lives is not something that we are able to earn. It's not something that we are able to, to, to uh, work towards. It's something that is given by God's grace alone. Make sense? And we stop accepting the grace of God. We slap away the hand of God when we don't forgive other people. And I'm going to unpack to you why that is the case over today. But I think we really need to understand what forgiveness is all about. And, um, uh, and I, I want to draw on this from Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, we have in verses 21 to 22, and you can read the, the parable that Jesus uses uh, after this little passage by yourself. Uh, but basically, Peter, one of uh, Jesus' disciples, comes to Jesus and says, How many times, Lord, do I need to forgive a brother who sins against me? How many times? And then he goes on to say, Up to seven times? Up to seven times? It's like, okay, cool. And Jesus replies, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, a lot of numbers are being thrown around here. Did Jesus literally mean that you count the number of times you forgive a person? Or, or what is going on here? 
we need to understand that for Hebrew people, the numbers have a symbolic meaning behind them. And the number seven to a Hebrew mindset is the number of completeness, is the number of perfection. What Peter was talking about is that I am willing to forgive my brother who sins against me perfectly. I'm willing to forgive perfect, completely, completely. And um, uh, did I mention the number seven comes because God created the world in seven days. And so in a Hebrew mindset, if God can create a whole world in seven days and call it good, then that's a number of perfection, is a number of, 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 of completeness. And, and that's, that's where Peter was coming from. And so you would think that if a person is saying, I'm willing to forgive perfectly, which is seven times, according to Peter's mindset, then Jesus might be, okay, that's not too bad. That's pretty good. Maybe Peter was wanting a pat on the back. Well done, Peter. You got it. Perfect forgiveness. But Jesus says, no, not seven times, 77 times. And this is a number that, is, um, that, has, that confused me a little bit. Why is it just two sevens? You need to be perfectly, perfectly forgiving people. What's going on? And, and um, I did a bit of study and I found that to understand the number 77 and the context of forgiveness is um, we need to go back to Genesis. And in Genesis, there were two brothers. Their names were Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, um, they were uh, the sons of Adam and Eve, and Cain was really jealous of Abel, and so he kills Abel. And because of that, he falls uh, under a curse, a curse that he'll be wandering for the rest of his life. He's walked away from God's grace and has brought himself under a curse. And he goes to God and he says, God, that's a punishment that is too much for me. This curse, I don't think I'll be able to survive. As I wander across the earth, um, someone's going to kill me. And so God shows grace to Cain by saying, I'm going to place a mark on you so that if anyone harms you, I will avenge you seven times over. Seven times over. That's what, Jesus, uh, that's what God was saying to Cain. And a little while later, Cain has descendants. And we come to this passage in Genesis 4, 23 to 24. And um, Cain's descendant, his name is Lamech. If you want to be Jewish, it's Lamech. <laughs> Anyone want to try to say it in someone's face? Yeah. Try it. Turn to the person next to you and say, Lamech. <laughs> the more phlegm, the more Jewish you are. <laughs> but Lamech uh, says in Genesis 4, 23 to 24, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times... Lamech is avenged 77 times. This was the first time the Bible has a reference to 77. And I believe that when Jesus was teaching Peter, you don't just forgive seven times, you forgive 77 times. There was this sense that God was bringing full circle something that got started in the lives of mankind in the early stages. In the early stages, Lamech came up with this idea that Cain has a right to be avenged seven times over. And then he goes on to say, well, I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to exercise my right to vengeance, and it's going to be 77 times. 77 was a number of a person's right to vengeance. It says, a young man wounded me, a young man hurt me, 
And so I'm not just going to hurt the person back. I'm actually going to kill the person. There's this sense of overbearing justice, overbearing retribution, overbearing vengeance that humans have innately within them. We carry this need for vengeance and we exercise it as though it's a right. And so what Jesus was saying is that you don't just forgive, you release and relinquish the right. You relinquish the right to pursue vengeance. And that is really important because that gives us another sense of what retribution and vengeance and forgiveness is all about. You see, the first thing that I learned about um, uh, forgiveness a little while ago was that forgiveness is not about letting a person get away with something. This is something that we need to understand. Forgiveness is not about letting a person go. It's not about, about giving them a free ride. It is not about simply rolling over. It's not just simply saying, okay, you said sorry, I guess that's okay, and moving on. That's not what forgiveness is about. You see, I, I struggle with this one because I, I used to, well, I still do often when a person hurts me, I'm kind of like, they need to know what they did wrong. Yeah? They need to know that what they did hurt. They need to know my side of the story. They need to understand what they have done to me because then they won't do it to someone else. I'm actually protecting other people by making sure that they understand the unforgiveness, uh, sorry, the, the, the hurt that they have caused me. Anyone think like that? Okay, we have three honest people, four, five, six, awesome. All of us think like that. It's a natural human instinct to go, oh. And, and, and we talk about justice and we talk about um, the need to correct something that was wrong and and that's something that we think about when it comes um, to hurts that we have felt, that we have, um, um, that has happened to us. So that's the first thing that we need to realize, that forgiveness is actually not about that at all. Forgiveness is about getting over a pain that has occurred in our lives. Properly getting over and the first thing that we need to do in order to get over is to understand what it is that we are truly going through. If you want to find forgiveness, if you want to experience true forgiveness, the first thing you need to do is to understand what you are truly going through. Apply some understanding to what is going on in your heart. Let me explain it through a story of something that happened to me. I was having a disagreement with a person. We were having a bit of a discussion, and, and we both said things that we could have put differently. Uh, we, we both said things that, that were hurtful, um, and we both didn't really realize how hurtful it was until a little bit later. Um, and when I realized that I had done something that was really hurtful, I apologized. But this other person didn't seem to want to apologize and in fact this thing just kind of dragged on and it dragged on for a couple of months and it got to a point where um where this um where we're seeing this person would actually cause me to get really anxious and upset 
and this person was uh, asking something of me once, and, and I just had a bit of a meltdown. And so I um, went to Beck, my lovely wife, and I um, vented for about half an hour to 45 minutes. Beck might say I vented for about two hours. She's probably lying. <laughs> I vented for a long time. I was like, how could this person do this to me? How could this person be thinking like that? How could this person be so selfish? How could this person um, uh, think that they can get away with this? You know, after all that I've done, after all of that, this person is just taking me for granted, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. What, what are they thinking? What are they th- they're, not, they're not thinking. They're just not thinking at all. They're being idiots, and, and that's why this whole situation is where it is, and I went on and on. And um, at the same time, I had learned something recently that it's very important to come in touch with your true feelings. And this is something that is extremely difficult in our culture today because we don't properly express our feelings. We don't. We talk about what we might possibly be feeling like. You know, when someone says, how are you feeling? You say, well, I feel like. The moment you say, I feel like, you are placing a layer beyond your feelings and you're talking about something else. You're not talking about your true emotions. Uh, so, so, so I feel like this person hurt me. I feel that this person, uh, I feel like this person uh, doesn't care about me. I feel like this person is being uh, very selfish. And I realize that that kind of thinking is very normal for us. We put layers around our emotions to protect us because understanding our emotions is extremely scary. It's extremely vulnerable. It's extremely unsettling. Because we created this sense of self that we want to protect. And that's why we seek vengeance, because a person is interrupting our perception of who we are or who we should be and how people should treat us. And we don't allow that layer to be open because it's a layer that is very soft. It's a layer that, is, that feels like it needs to be protected. And, and so this is a little bit of a, a side note, but when a person is angry and they start swearing, I can totally understand it. I remember um, I, I, when I was younger, it would be in a way that I thought I was expressing myself. You know, I'm swearing and it's expressing myself. But guess what? Swearing is another whole other le- level of protection around yourself, and you're not actually experiencing your true emotions and your feelings. You're just like F and this and F and that and this F and that, and you're allowing that. You are feeling your anger, but you're not really feeling what's going on on the inside. You're protect. Learn how to articulate your anger. Honestly, if a person wants to swear, I don't mind. If a person's angry, I'm not going to tell you stop swearing because that's going to make them more angry. That's going to make them swear at me even more. And I'm going to be like, well, we're going nowhere. Let the person swear. But after a while, I'll say, where's this anger coming from? What's truly going on? Your swearing is holding you as a caveman that doesn't know how to use language to unlock understanding. Make sense? So I'm not against swearing in the sense like, oh, it's so uncouth. Well, I don't like it. I think it's definitely we can use our tongues better. I believe that there's power in the tongue and we should use it better, absolutely. 
But when there's emotions involved, it's a lot harder. And what I'm saying is that you need to understand why that anger is going on in your life. And one of the things that I realize that we describe our hurts, if I ask you to think back to a time that you got hurt, I'm guessing that most of the time you're going to say, well, that person did this, and that person made me feel like this. And the logical conclusion, when you think about a time of hurt, and your conclusion is that this person made me, or this person did something to me, is that the only way that I can move forward is for this person to then take me forward. You have actually ascribed power to a person over your life. And what I was doing was that I was ascribing power to this person without knowing it. I was like, this person is being selfish. So the only way I can move forward is this, if this person stops being selfish. This person is being inconsiderate. And so um, this person is treading on my rights. And so the only way that I can properly move forward is if this person respects my rights. It becomes a retribution vengeance process. And what I learned how to understand is that if I go into the deeper layers, the sensitive, softer layers that reside deep within myself, and I try to understand what I was going through, that's how I can find freedom and forgiveness. So in this situation, what I did was that I dove in. It's a scary process. I don't like the stuff that I see right deep within myself many times. And I recognize a couple of emotions. For me, in that situation, I was feeling extremely worried. Beneath the anger was a very deep anxiety and worry. And that confused the heck out of me. Because I was like, I prefer to be angry. Angry is strong. Worry and anxiety is weak. But right now, this person is making me feel worried and anxious, and I don't know why. Can I go back to being angry? Because with anger, at least I can tell the person what to do. But with worry and anxiety, oh my gosh, it's a whole different thing. I allowed myself to sit in that for a little while. And I realized that the anxiety and worry was because there was no resolution that this person was allowing us to go through in this relationship. There wasn't a resolution. I tried things and this person was rebuffing all my efforts and I was feeling stuck. And in the middle of feeling stuck, I felt like this person was demanding that I continue in a holding pattern. You understand, with aircraft, sometimes when the older lanes are full in an airport, the plane actually has to go around and around. And this is a situation I found myself in once, uh, where I think we were in a holding pattern for like half an hour. The, the landing strip was right there. And we were circling around like morons in the middle of the sky. And that's how I felt like. It's like, we can land this thing, but you're not creating space for us to do so. I'm using up all of my energy and my focus and my, my fuel just continuing to buzz around this scenario. And the landing strip's right there. I was feeling hopeless and I was feeling powerless. And that's where the anxiety and the worry was coming from. 
I was worried that I was going to crash this thing. I was worried that I wouldn't have what it takes to land after all of this. I was worried that my energy and my focus were being placed in something that was meaningless. And, and all of that caused me to react in anger and caused me to place walls between me and this other person and me in forgiveness. When I truly understood how I felt, I could evaluate what do I need to do next. That's why understanding yourself is so important. Every single one of your actions is extremely predictable once you know your motivations and what is going on. The person who doesn't trust someone else is not because they were created with trust issues. It's because someone has hurt them and they never want to be hurt again. A person doesn't get born with anger issues. A person has anger issues because uh, uh, they, they, they learn how to defend themselves by being prickly and being fiery and shouting is always understandable. And when I completely went inside, well, not completely, but when I went deeper and I saw that fear, that anxiety, I recognized that this person really doesn't have any control over how I was feeling. Unforgiveness takes place because we give people power over our lives. Unforgiveness takes place in our lives because we say to someone else that you're the one that is holding me in this space. But forgiveness is about going, no, you don't have that power. And I can do something about this. In that moment when I started to examine and I started to see where I truly was at, Beck and I prayed. And I prayed that God help me to find a landing zone. It's not about this person and what they want from me. I'm, I'm holding myself in a landing pattern. It was like God was like, there's another landing zone right over there. You just want to land here. But you can't. So you're the one holding yourself in that landing pattern, in the holding pattern, when there's a landing zone right there. I diverted my focus, my attention. I went, God, I've done my best. And as much as this situation doesn't feel like it's resolving, I'm leaving the outcome in your hands. Help me to be the best me. Help me not to act in anger. But this person doesn't have any power over me. Instead, I'm coming to you and I'm going, God, help me. And this is the next step for forgiveness. After understanding yourself, you find resolution in a path that doesn't require the other person's actions. But the next step is to offer understanding of where the other person is coming from. Step one is understanding yourself. Step two is understanding where the other person is coming from. This is actually corroborated by research. Uh, a person who uh, pioneered um, uh, the study into forgiveness 30 years ago, he said this, true forgiveness goes a step further, offering something positive, empathy, compassion, understanding towards the person that hurt you. That element makes forgiveness both a virtue and a powerful construct in positive psychology. Psychology is showing us that simply saying, oh, that's in the past and I'm okay, I'm okay, is not okay. The number of people that I have sat with who have got unforgiveness in their hearts, they will say, yeah, yeah, I know I'm still hurt, but that's in the past and I'm okay. I'm like, you are clearly not okay. The fact that you were twitching, <laughs> you know, 
tells me that you're not okay. Forgiveness is not just about that. The true way that we release hurt is when we understand where the person's coming from. Like, I wish that that person understood where I came from when I said certain things I shouldn't have. I wish that that person understood my intentions. But oftentimes, as human beings, we don't go the extra mile to understand another person's intentions. We just take their actions and we interpret it in our way and we go, you hurt me. That's often what, a, that's what happens when we disconnect in our relationships. That is what is taking place. But when we take the time to show empathy and go, where are you coming from? What is it that you are going through? And you realize that their actions come from insecurities. It comes from hurt. It comes from things that they have gone through and therefore they think that they're trying their absolute best then sometimes it's easier to go, oh, wow. In fact, most of the time, when I understand where a person's coming from, I take a step closer to them. I start to see, wow, you didn't intend to hurt me. You didn't intend to push me down. You didn't intend to wound me. You're simply just trying to do things in your way. I don't appreciate the way that you're doing it, but your heart's intention was never never to hurt me. We walk around like walking wounded because we assume that people are trying to hurt us. Do you know why there's no forgiveness there? Because when you assume someone's trying to hurt you, you are going to defend yourself. You put your barriers up. You put your defenses up. And the next time you see the person, shield up. I do that. I do that all the time. And I have people that... that, that have hurt me, and I'm like, I'm telling Beck, Beck, can I just hide behind you this whole time? Because if I see them, I'm going to go into like Captain America rage and just throw my shield at their face. I'm really good at that. But then I recognize the more I understand a person, the less I hate them. The more I understand a person, the more I'm like, cool. Now, this is not to say that forgiveness is about complete reconciliation. If you understand a person and the hurt that they've gone through and the journey that they're on, and their journey means that they don't deserve full trust from you, it doesn't mean that you reconcile. It just means that the hurt is understandable. It just simply means that you can be compassionate about the situation. The trust issue, you deal with that later. If a person has completely destroyed your trust through their actions, Make sure they build a trust. That's wisdom. That's not about forgiveness. Make sense? But understanding where they are coming from is extremely important. And then the final step that I believe many of us, myself included, forget is that we need to remember that forgiveness is not an event. It is a process. Some of us think that we are really unforgiving people because we tried and the hurt's still there. I'm still reacting out of that hurt. I'm just not forgiving, so I'm just going to just kind of brush it off and say, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm okay. And you deal with your little twitches in your, in your corner. But really, forgiveness is not an event. It is a process. And this is something that's really cool. When I looked at what uh, Peter and Jesus were talking about, Peter said, how many times do I need to forgive a brother who has sinned against me? He says seven, and then Jesus says, 70, I see you're seven, I raise you 77. And, um, 
And I used to think, oh, okay, so this person sins against you 77 separate times and you forgive them 77 separate times. But I was like, what about if Jesus is saying that you need to forgive one person for one action that has hurt you 77 times? Think about that. Maybe seven times is not enough. Seven times maybe is just getting a little bit, if it's a deep hurt, I reckon seven times only kind of dulls it a little bit. But maybe 77 times goes right to the heart of the matter. I'm still dealing with issues that, that hurt. Some of them have happened months, maybe even years ago, and it's still there. And maybe I'm on my 57th time of trying to understand and trying to release. And there are 20 more times to go, Jesus. Forgiveness isn't an event. It's a process. And some of us are so close to receiving the freedom that God has for us, the life that God has for us, but we are stuck because we forget but yeah, it's just keep, keep offering that empathy, keep offering that compassion, keep offering that understanding, keep releasing the pains and the hurts to God. You know, it's really interesting. The research into unforgiveness defines unforgiveness as ruminating on emotional hurt. You're thinking basically about the hurt. So if you think back to a situation and there's still hurt there, you're still in a process of forgiveness. That sucks. Because there are many things that I can think of that, oh. I was like, really? I haven't forgiven? No, no, no. You have and you are forgiving. You have forgiven and you are forgiving. Don't beat yourself up if you're halfway through the process and the hurt is still there. No, 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 keep going. Keep releasing. Keep letting it go. That's where the freedom is. See, some of us don't understand forgiveness this way, and that's why we haven't received forgiveness from God in this way. Some of us think that our sin still hurts Jesus. I remember there was this old school song that went like this. Do you still feel the nails every time I fall? Do you still feel the nails every time I fall? Singing about Jesus on the cross. And that song used to hurt me so bad. I was like, oh, I failed you, Jesus, and I've driven another nail. No, Jesus took three nails. Not a million and five billion zillion nails that all of us human beings continually use, I don't know. You get what I mean? It's stupid to think that Jesus' three nails are not enough to deal with my sin. And we forget that Jesus says that there's now therefore no condemnation for anyone who are found in my name. Jesus isn't looking at your sin and going, why do you still keep dragging that nail into my arms? Jesus said, I've forgotten about, no, I've dealt with that. I've dealt with that. Yes, it hurt in the past. I'm not going to deny that. But at the same time, I've released you from needing to hold on to your guilt. I understand we have a Jesus, we have a God who lived on this earth 
and went through every single temptation that mankind can go through. That's what the Bible teaches us. We do not have a high priest that does not understand. We have a high priest that understands what it's like. He understands that our humanity is brittle. He understands that there is abuse, that there is oppression that causes us to be hard-hearted, that causes us to lash out in anger. He understands all of those things, and he went, my sacrifice on the cross was enough it is enough to save you some of us are still living in a way that God is still demanding so much more from you and that couldn't be further from the truth God is not holding on to some hurt that you caused him God's released that as far as the east is from the west so far have I removed your sins from you when he sees you, he doesn't remember that time that you swore. He doesn't remember the time that you lied. He doesn't remember the time that, that, that you cheated. He doesn't remember the time that, that you were angry and said something that hurt someone else. He doesn't see that. He sees you the way you should be, whole. He sees you the way you should be, valuable, loved, designed by the designer created by the creator put together in a way where all he wants to is to show you love but sometimes you're like but god what about this sin and what about that sin i haven't dealt with that i'm still dealing with that i'm still addicted to this i'm still struggling with that and we are the ones that build a barrier between us and god because we don't understand what forgiveness is like. Forgiveness understands. Forgiveness removes hurt. Forgiveness moves on. Forgiveness gets over. There's some people here that haven't experienced true community because you've got your walls up. They're still hurt in the past that you're assuming other people in this room are going to bring to you. Honestly, I will probably hurt you at some stage. Because I'm still human and I'm trying my best, but every now and then I say something and Beck needs to give me a good elbow on the side. Happens, what, twice a week? Less than that? Once. But some people take that hurt okay because they've actually dealt with stuff. But then other people are like, oh, how could you? How could you? It's like, what do I do? I reminded you of your hurt. Unintentionally. I don't know your story well enough. But that's what seems to happen in our circles. Come on, church. We can't be community if we don't know how to get over. We can't be community if we don't know how to forgive. We can't be loving if we don't know how to love and be loved. We, we, we can't move forward if we've got all of these things that are holding us back. If we can get the band up this morning. The first thing I want to do is to just make it extremely clear what Jesus has done for us. Jesus dealt with your past, your present, and your future. He's dealt with every single way that you could hurt him or hurt anyone else. 
Why do I say that? Because Jesus' blood never fails. The sins that I committed, the sins that I might be committing, the sins that I might commit, Jesus knows them all and He chooses to forgive. This doesn't give me a free right to do whatever I want to do. This just simply deals with the fact that when Jesus sees me, He's not trying to deal with my sin. He's trying to deal with, with who I'm meant to be. Sin corrupts and sin takes away. Sin destroys what God has put in our lives. He destroys, it, it destroys our, our heart desires and it destroys our way of, of seeing life and it, it, it chooses destruction. And so God loves us so much that He's going to get rid of that sin because I've got better for you. But Jesus doesn't look at that sin and go, you disgusting human being, I'm going to spit you out. That's not the God that we're talking about because if that was God, He wouldn't have died on a cross for you. Simple and easy. He would be like, no, I'm going to leave you to your own devices, find your own destruction, and, and then I will have my retribution. But Jesus said, I love you. I'm going to come onto this earth, endure the sin, endure the oppression and the scorn to die so that you can find life. That's the Jesus that we are talking about. And so this morning, if you want to accept this Jesus into your life, all you have to do is to believe in your heart and to speak with your mouth. It's what the Bible teaches us. Let's invite Jesus in. Allow His forgiveness to wash over you, to unlock this new life that He has for you. If you want that, say this prayer, mean it with everything that you've got. And everyone this morning, why don't we just say this prayer together? So close your eyes and repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I know I've done wrong. I know I've missed the mark. But I thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. Forgive me, Lord. Wash me clean. Make me whole. I invite you into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.